How y'all doing this morning? Hey, can you all help me give a warm welcome to our online people? What's up? How you doing? So have you ever been completely loyal to something? Now, if you've been here for any length of time, we are some pretty diehard loyal Apple product fans. We got iPhones and Apple Watch and iPad. Any Apple fans out there? Any, anyone? Now, statistically, it also means that there are some diehard loyal Android fans in this room. Oh, oh okay. So before, before we get in a fight, I'm just going to move on. You know, sometimes our loyalties can shift a little bit. Now, maybe you've been a loyal Target shopper or a loyal Bud Light drinker. No, only a few, though, not, not too many of those. But in recent weeks, you've been like, you know, I can no longer be loyal to these companies because of their choices. But let me ask this. Is true loyalty tied to someone else's actions or decisions? You know, when things are going well, we're cheering them on. But when they're not going so well, we're like, oh, I don't think so. Is that actually loyalty? It kind of reminds me of being an Illini fan. You know, I took my, <laughs> I took my son to his first live Illini game last season, and it was a great season. I mean, it was amazing, right? A wonderful one that we haven't had in a long time. At this point, they had won seven games in a row, and we were pumped. I mean, the fans around us were really pumped. And as you know, that game was against Michigan State, and we lost that game. And it was really frustrating. And let's just say those loyal fans had some pretty choice words to share on social media about their cherished Illini. Now, most of those I can't read out loud, but some of them I can't. I'm done with you. You suck. I knew this wouldn't last. Ouch. Is that really loyalty, though? You know, right before the game started, something really special happened. I actually saw an amazing picture of loyalty right in front of my eyes, and it was so moving to me, I, I captured a little video of it. Let's watch this. I just love that moment. It, it moved me because right in front of my eyes, I saw a picture of loyalty. You know, there, around me, there's people drinking, partying, having a good time. And the players are one by one getting on their knees and they're praying to God, like something that seems completely out of place at a football game. But see, it didn't matter what people thought. You see, loyalty is being faithful when it's not convenient. It kind of looks like devotion, obedience, fidelity, and commitment when everybody else starts to run away. See, true loyalty is really powerful. And it was so moving to see these players, like one by one, declare their loyalty to God. Like, no matter how this game goes, uh, no matter how this even looks in front of all these people, my allegiance is to you, Jesus. We're in a series. We're calling one commandment, learning to love. And we're actually going to look at the Ten Commandments and how they teach us to do this one new commandment from Jesus. We heard it last week. It was in John 13. 
Jesus says this, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Another way to say that is, we are loved so we can love. And over these next 10 weeks, we're actually going to discover that the Ten Commandments are not out of date. They're not obsolete. They can actually teach us to love the way that he loves. And it's actually so powerful that that love, when people look at it, they'll know that we're followers of Jesus. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And it starts with our loyalty. If someone were to follow you around for a week, could they tell where your loyalties lie? Where would they see devotion? Where would they see faithfulness? Where where would they see obedience in your life? Would it be clear or would it be maybe kind of fuzzy? You know, maybe it depends on the day. Like, it's Sunday morning and we're all here. Good job. (laughs) You know, you're setting your first part of your week apart for God. That's awesome. But what about the other days of the week? What about Friday night? Maybe it depends on how good life is going. Like, you know, prayer is answered, someone's sickness gets healed, the finances are going well, and you're like, God is great, God is good, thank you for this lovely food, amen. But what about when none of that is happening? Do we begin to criticize or question God's faithfulness, his goodness? Do we stop going to church when it gets hard? Does our loyalty begin to wane and maybe shift to something else. You know, we live in a culture that has a lot of choices. I mean, you can literally have it your way. If you need faith in your life, well, there are lots of religions that you can choose from, and they're tailored exactly to your needs. If you need significance, well, you are invited over and over to pour into your career over and over. That's what's gonna give you significance. But to do do those things, deliver what they promise. See, what you choose matters. Uh, Maybe I'll say it a a different way. What we behold, we become. And where you put your affection and your attention actually has the ability to mold and shape you, to shape your life. You, You could say it this way. Where our loyalty goes, our love will follow. And when our loyalty goes to God, it actually empowers us to love the way that he loves us. And so today we're gonna look at this very first commandment that God ever gave. You must not have any other God but me. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now into this room that you're the teacher, you're the guide. And I just ask right now that Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts, you would open our ears to hear your voice And I just silence any distractions and confusion and any other voices but yours. Lord, we thank you right now that you're here. Show us what you're saying and what you're doing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to give you a little context of these first few verses. This is actually 50 days after the Israelites were delivered out of slavery. Now, 400 years of slavery. Just to give you some context, it's the year 2023. That would be the year 1623, where that all started. 
This is a huge deal, right? And they are now completely free. They're completely free. And they're actually in the middle of nowhere. In the front of Mount Sinai, it's like a completely clean slate. And what I love is God himself is now gonna descend on the mountain and speak these commandments. And this is what he says. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And then he says this first commandment. You must not have any other God but me. Now, before I look at verse three again, I actually wanna talk about verse two. You see, before God asks us to follow any commandment, he actually wants us to understand two things, who he is and what he's done. He says, I am the Lord, your God. I am king. I am Yahweh. I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. I love how Psalm 24 says it. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. He's establishing his lordship, that he rules and he reigns. And just like he demonstrated that he is ruler over every god, every demon, every circumstance, he is ruler over. You know, this is why when we get saved, we actually confess Jesus is Lord. Do you guys remember that verse? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be, oh, you know it. Good job. See, when we acknowledge that he is Lord, we're saying that he's Lord over every area of our life. He's Lord over our desires. He's Lord over our finances. Like every area must bow down to him. That's what we're saying. Now, he doesn't say, I am the Lord, the God. Now, he is the God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe. He says, I am the Lord, your God. You see, for God, this is actually personal. This is relational language. He's actually establishing connection, relationship. You know, sometimes we look at God and we think, I am the Lord God, you know? And he's large and in charge, but he wants us to understand this is, this is really personal to him. This is who he is. And then he establishes what he's done. He said, who rescues you from the land of Egypt the place of your slavery. Now, it's interesting to me that he's reminding the Israelites what happened just 50 days ago. I mean, how can they forget this? Like, that was a crazy, I mean, all the 10 plagues, all of that. Is this what he's doing? Is he reminding them? Not exactly. See, what God is establishing here is a relational paradigm. This is how we're gonna love and relate to each other. And we're gonna see this relational paradigm over and over again throughout all of scripture and even in our very lives. You see, what God is establishing in his own voice, I love that it's his own voice, is that before I give you any guidelines of how we're gonna relate, you must remember that I've already redeemed you. This is not how you gain access to me. This isn't even how you get saved. This is how we're gonna thrive in our relationship. 
Like, I'm not about to give you a set of rules to earn your way to me. I've already split the sea so you can walk right through it, right? I've already destroyed your enemy. I've already paved the way and paid the price. Man, does this sound familiar to anybody? I love that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, right from the very beginning, God is actually establishing that he goes first. He fills the gap. That his power is actually ultimate, and it's actually not to crush us. It's actually to redeem us, to preserve and protect our relationship with him. See, he wants us to know all of this before we ever try to obey any command that he gives. Now, I want you to think about your life for a moment. How are you saved? Who went first? What have you been delivered from? Where has God brought freedom in your life? You know, this actually matters, remembering this. I think some of us that have been following Jesus for for quite a while, maybe this gets a little boring to you. Or maybe you're here right now and it feels a little like an obligation. Oh, I have to go to church. Not I get to. You know what's happened is that you've forgotten who he is and what he's done for you. We need to remember that. Now, maybe you're here right now and you're not even sure why. You're kind of exploring. But you're here because you know God's pursuing you right now. And you're, you're looking for freedom and you've really realized you just can't get it on your own. You tried everything. Let me just tell you something this morning. He is the deliverer. He is the redeemer. He will actually go first. He will meet you right where you're at. He will even lay down his life for you. Actually, he already did. That's worth the clap about. That's right. You see, before Jesus gives this first command, he establishes his commitment and his loyalty to us. You know, we say he first loved us. Well, you know, he was also first loyal to us. He said, this is who I am. This is what I've done. You already have access. You're already saved. Now, here's how to protect and thrive in this relationship. You must have no other God but me. Now, we learned last week that the Israelites are immersed in in what we call a polytheistic culture. It really just means they had a God for everything and anything. If, you need, if they needed their crops to grow, well, there was a God of earth and vegetation. If they needed healing to have kids, well, there was a goddess of fertility. And if they had sickness or disease, well, they had two for that. There was a God and a goddess of medicine. I mean, even Pharaoh himself declared himself God. The, cre- you know, the son of the creator, Ra. It was deep in their culture. And so when he gives this first commandment, it's actually a radical statement. It's actually a radical paradigm shift for them. And it's not like they had totally abandoned Yahweh. They, they were crying out to him. They were praying to him all the time. Do you guys know the, the burning bush story where Moses, he's like, I've heard my people's cry. They were praying to him, right? So it's not that they totally abandoned him. It's more that he'd become one of many gods. Their loyalty became divided. 
Now, before we're too hard on the Israelites, do you know this is really similar to the culture we live in? We live in a very polytheistic culture. If you're feeling down on yourself, well, you can just go to the God of affirmation in social media. Do you know clinical studies show that the more that you do social media, the more dopamine gets released and you actually feel better? Hmm. Maybe you're feeling anxiety or stress. How easy is it for us to reach for a drink or a pill? Do you know the stats? I found this very fascinating. The stats of alcohol sales since the pandemic have increased by 54%. Now, pandemic's kind of over, right? Thank you, Jesus. But you know what didn't go down? That stat. It's still the same. There are gods everywhere. Now, I think for most of us, we actually don't struggle with God being part of our lives. I mean, you're here. And many of us, we actually don't even struggle being loyal to God first. I think what we do struggle with is being loyal to only God. Meaning there are no others but him. Jen Wilkin, she's an author of 10 Words to Live By. I love what she says about this. She says, there can be no dual allegiances when it comes to serving Yahweh. By commanding a singular allegiance, God does not merely assert that he is superior to other gods, nor in the plagues does he merely demonstrate that he is stronger than other gods. He declares that they do not exist. You see, the first commandment is actually an invitation to reality. God's not saying just, you know, don't have any other gods. He's saying these spirits are not really gods. I love how Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he says this in uh, uh, Isaiah 45. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. And he's right. There are no other true gods that, that have divine majesty and power, that created the heavens and the earth, that have authority over all. But there are spirits that masquerade as gods. And just because they're not real doesn't mean they don't have power in your life. Listen to this psalmist, Psalm 135. The unbelieving nations worship what they make. They worship their wealth and their work. They idolize what they own and what they do. Can we just take a moment and just say that thousand-year-old texts, how relevant this is to us today, I mean, let's be real. Doesn't this sound like today? Their possessions will never satisfy. Their lifeless and futile works cannot bring life to them. Their things cannot talk to them or answer their prayers. Blind men can only create blind idols. Those deaf to God can only make a deaf image. Dead men can only create dead idols. Now listen to this. And everyone who trusts in these powerless dead things will be just like what they worship, powerless and dead. You see, what this psalmist is saying is that if we let our loyalty divide, if we let our devotion, our affection, our faithfulness, if we let our affection shift to the created thing rather than the creator, 
If, if we let it go to our wealth or our work or our possessions and we think, oh, man, this is going to satisfy, this is going to give me love and give me life, it's actually those things that we put our hope in are going to leave us powerless and dead. I mean, how contemporary is this for us today? You know, sometimes I can get really consumed with my finances. Does that happen to anybody else? I mean, sometimes we think it will solve our problems. Like if I just make more, if I become more successful, I'm going to be more happy, content. I'm going to be more comfortable. But they're actually false gods. And they can never deliver what they promise because they don't have the real power to do it. Now, let me be clear. Money is not bad. And you know, making money is also not bad. You know, some of, some of us in here are, are called and gifted to make a lot of money so we can fuel the kingdom. I think that's going to bring some freedom in here for some of you. Because see, this is actually often misquoted. You often hear this quote, well, money is the root of all evil. That's not true. Do you know what is? Ah, you guys know. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then 1 Timothy continues, and some people craving money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Do you know that research shows that some of the richest people are the most unhappy, lonely, and troubled people? And do you know that it's, it's not because they made a lot of money? It's because money has become their first love. Their loyalty has shifted, their, their devotion, their affection has turned toward it. This is why Jesus even says, you can't have, you can't love both God and money. It doesn't work together. See, what God is trying to establish here is where our loyalty goes, our love will follow. And when our loyalty goes toward God, we're good. But when it's divided or misplaced, we're dead. So how do we do this? How do we get rid of divided loyalties? How do we stay loyal to God so that we can actually love the way that he loves? And so when people look at our life, they actually see Jesus. They actually see love. Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to have a funeral. Now, I know some of you are like, Daniel, I didn't go to church for no funeral. I know. Some things in our lives need to die. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul gets really specific about this. You know, they lived in a polytheistic culture. Do you know that every generation actually lives in a polytheistic culture? Every generation will have gods everywhere and we'll have to choose the one God. We will always have to choose. And Paul is addressing some of the bad fruit in their lives that has its roots in following false gods. They're trying to live the both-and life. I've tried. And I love how he starts Colossians 3. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Do you, do you guys see the relationship to the Old Testament and New right here? That's pretty amazing. He's saying you're trying to get your needs met by the things on this earth. And when you realize that, no, look up. 
Set your mind on the things above. And then he gets really specific. He says, put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, these are things that we wouldn't typically call gods, right? But that's exactly what they are. He calls them idols, idolatry, because they're dividing our heart. They're pulling us away from our loyal devotion to the one who can really give us life. And he gets even more specific. He says this, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Just an aside, whose wrath? God's, not our wrath. God's wrath, okay, that's his. Verse seven, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices. Wow, he's really specific there. You know something, you know, sometimes the Bible is kind of hard to understand. This isn't. <laughs> if we would just do this stuff, man, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty plain and simple. Like we don't need like, I need the hermeneutic and exegete. No, it's, it's right there. Let me just press into here a little bit. Let me talk about sexual immorality. That basically just means anything outside of God's design for our sexuality. Do you know that God has an amazing design for your sexuality? I mean, he created sex. He did. He actually wants us to enjoy it. And in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, we will be the most satisfied and the most free. Do you know that healthy marriages is one of the ways that we can model loyal and devotion to the world. It's one of the ways. It's not the only way. You know, before I started following Jesus, I was really messed up here. I was molded and shaped by the thoughts of the world. And I believe it didn't really matter. And my loyalty was actually to myself, my own pleasure, my own comfort. It was like based on my feelings. Like I know what's best for my life. And you know, everything around me, my friends even, just reinforce this. They're like, ah, pornography is okay. Everybody does it. You know, you can have sex before marriage. You're just practicing, you know. But you know what the real truth is? I was miserable. I was actually dying inside. There were times that I was even suicidal. I felt so empty. Do you know that, that verse, Psalm 135? I felt just like it, powerless and dead because they're lies. They can never deliver what they promise because they don't have the power to do it. And as soon as I started following Jesus, as soon as I started just shifting my loyalty to God, like my devotion, my love began to follow it. And the affection of my heart began to shift and everything started to change. Like addictions just started to break. Like I had a bad pornography addiction, it just started to go away. In my sexuality, it started to align with God's design. Ooh, that rhymes. You need to align with God's design. 
It's true though. It was like simply seeking Jesus, fixing my eyes on the things above, shifting my allegiance to him, everything started to change. You know, no matter what stage of life you're in, like you might be married, you might be single, you might be single again, everything will flow. Everything good will flow when your loyal allegiance is to God. Everything. Now, let me talk about one more area that Paul highlights here, because I think even more of us might be able to relate. You know, if you look at this world, there is a lot of injustice. There's actually a lot of perversion in the world right now. And, you know, we should not be okay with it. Like, there is such a thing, I believe, as as righteous anger. However, there is a God of control out there that seems to give us permission to let our anger become rage, for our rage to become malice, for our malice to become slander. And let me just say, it's from the pit of hell. Like when I was, during the pandemic, I got so caught up in the injustice everywhere and the lawlessness. I would get so angry and I found myself with this rage and malice toward people, especially politicians. I didn't even know them, but when I talked to them, I would just slander them. And the Lord convicted my heart. He's like, this is not who you are. Do you know this is not helping? He goes, even though I don't love what they're doing, I still love them. I actually still died for them. Your allegiance right now is to my law, not to my love. And I'm, you know, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying be okay with everything. But see, we have to realize that the battle is not against flesh and blood. Let me just say, that flesh and blood person, that is not who the battle is against. And when we start to slander and rage and have malice toward these people, we start to look like the things on earth, not the things above. Now, I know this can start to feel really heavy. And it actually should. Because you might be wearing the wrong clothes. Let me reread verse 9 into verse 10. Since you have taken off your old self, take off your old self with its practices. Since you've taken it off and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You see, what he's saying here is that when we act this way, when we follow false gods, when we let our loyalties get divided, we're actually just putting our old self back on. It's like grave clothes. You know, maybe it felt good. Maybe you're like, ooh, I look good in this. Maybe it felt good to be like angry. You're like, oh, that felt good. But there's bad fruit everywhere. Because you don't look like you're supposed to look. You're not representing Jesus. See, what happened is you forgot who you are. And what I love how the simplicity of how Paul does this. He says, when you realize this, when you realize you're acting like your old self, you simply need to take it off. Take off the old self and put on the new self. Woo, I like this. This feels good. Wow, yes, right? Which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. You've been fixing your eyes on the world, but you need to fix your things on the things above. Like you're a new creation. Did you know you were made new? 
You see, we don't put things to death like we used to. I think some of us got a little anxiety. We're like, oh, I got all these things to put to death. That's the old covenant. See, now we have the power of Jesus living inside of us. The Holy Spirit. Do you know it's the same power that raised him from the dead? That lives in us. See, what the enemy wants to do, the enemy wants us to keep warring with our old self, right? He wants you, you know, if I can't have your soul, I'm just going to make you miserable trying to kill off your old self all the time. He wants us to focus on our sin, where we miss it, our mistakes. But see, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Don't stay sin-focused. I want you sun-focused, right? Take off the old self and just simply put on the new self. And he says, renew in knowledge the image of a creator. Do you know why he says it that way? Because we're image bearers. This is what you're supposed to look like. So I love how Paul continues. He said, verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Do you know you're God's chosen people? Do you see what he calls you? You're already holy. You're already set apart. You're already dearly loved. Clothe yourselves, oh yeah, here it is, with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. You know, I think some of us, we walk by that dumpster and we want to go dumpster diving, right? Someone else's trash is your treasure. No, it ain't. He gave you new. You are a new creation. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you realize what he's doing? He first lived, loved us so we can love. He was first loyal to us so we can be loyal to him. He first forgave us, so that's why we forgive. I think there's a need to be some forgiveness. Some of you know there's someone in your life you need to forgive. And then he wraps it all up in verse 14. And over all these virtues, but he's putting them all together. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, the way that we learn to love is we bring our loyalty, our devotion, our faithfulness to God and God alone. And everything is, everything that's good, everything that's perfect, everything flows from that place. See, where your loyalty goes, your love will follow. And that is actually what proves to the world that you are his disciples. So I, I want us to stand. I want us to stand. I want you to put your hand on your heart and just close your eyes. Lord, right now, I just thank you for your power. Lord, I thank you that we cannot do this on our own. And I, I just really sense like there's gonna be a love encounter with you in this place. So Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to fall on every heart. It starts in the heart. And God, where there's been maybe hardness or even numbness, right now you're breaking that open. I bless that. And God, as we fix our attention and our affection and our focus back on you, I thank you, Lord, that our only response 
can be to love you. Our only response is to be loyal to you. So we thank you for being with us as we worship Jesus. Amen.